Turn with me to Luke chapter 14, a parable of Jesus, one of the hallmarks of his teaching, the use of parables. A parable is an extended metaphor. It's fictitious, in this case a fictitious story designed to relate a truth that is somewhat abstract. Luke 14, 16, the Bible says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. The operative word here in this parable is excused. Have me excused. I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. Have me excused. And so the title and the theme of this message for you, the professing Christian, or for you who have sat on the fence as to make a decision for Christ or not, we have run out of time. Precisely where we are, nobody really knows. Some say they do, some pretend that they do, but nobody really knows. But in my mind, I think of it as the two-minute warning in a football game. And we cannot say that we, Church of Jesus Christ, are behind because we know that Christ wins. But I emphasize Christ. And those that stay for the entire duration of the game with the discipline, with the grit that it takes to win. For others... Time has run out, or it's running out. We are rapidly approaching some historic moments yet ahead of us. I'm convinced of that. Moments that will not please us here in America and across the globe. God is fulfilling his plan, not ours. And we see the prophecies concerning the end times, known as eschatology, being fulfilled in our lifetime. Time is running out, and for some It has already run out. No more excuses. As I just said, this was a message I delivered to people who follow me regularly, almost daily. Some of them are daily, who are dealing with anxiety and depression. And I wanted to exhort them. There could be no more excuses for letting depression overwhelm your life and take it away from you or anxiety and panic attacks. For you here, the message has a bit of a different emphasis. Some of you have anxiety and depression. Some of you have other issues. But it's much more, for you, it's much more comprehensive than just one subject. But the message is still the same. There's no more time for excuses. The supper is ready, or it's almost ready. So we have this parable here, and to give you the context, this is Jesus saying to his Jewish hearers, You're going to reject the gospel. You were invited to it. So now it's going to go to the Gentiles. That's the context. Even though if you look down, if you have your Bible still open, some Bibles will have a heading in it. Mine did. One of mine did. The cost of discipleship. Because right after that, Jesus will talk about what it's going to take to be his disciple. I'm not really taking this out of its context as much as I'm explaining to you the context and how I'm going to apply it to you and to me. And keeping in mind that I just mentioned to you More than any one other person in this room or watching by way of the live stream or watching or listening rather by the way of the radio, this message I have already applied to myself. I have assigned to myself some difficult assignments that I intend to fulfill and not fail and not give God or myself any more excuses. 
And I'll be able to explain to you later the difference between a reason that you cannot perform and an excuse not to perform. They're not the same thing. No more excuses. Now, here is a quote from a military magazine about why people fail out or quit from the BUDS program in the Navy SEALs. I know I just gave you a Navy SEALs illustration last week, but quite frankly, they're the easiest to find information on now because so many of them have come out advertising what they do. Whether that's right or wrong, others can judge. In any case, it says this. Typically, the reason why people do not finish SEAL training is that they were underprepared. That has nothing to do with age. If you look at reasons why people quit or fail the course, there is a laundry list of reasons. I think a better word would be excuses. Too cold, too uncomfortable, wet, sandy. Now, this is a Navy SEAL speaking. Too much running, too much swimming, no pool confidence. That means you're not confident in the water and the things that you have to do in the water. Too much PT, physical training. Too much load-bearing events, too many boats, too many logs, too many rocks, too much negative feedback, too much everything. Buzz will expose a weakness quickly, and if you are not prepared for that, it can be overwhelming. And as I read through this small quote here, I thought that this seal is being very kind, knowing that probably it was going to be printed in a magazine. I'm certain that's not how he would actually speak about why people quit. So many people could have been many things in life, but they quit for these very things. Let me read the list again. And I'm going to use the word excuse. A laundry list of excuses. This is too cold. This is too uncomfortable. I don't have any pool confidence. There's too much physical training. Too many load-bearing events. Too many boats. Too many logs. Too many rocks. Too much negative feedback. Too much everything. So they ring the bell and they quit and talk about what could have been. I was almost... But remember that almost doesn't count. In horseshoes, yes, but it doesn't count in much else. Almost hit a home run is not hitting a home run. It's almost. Almost making the kingdom is not making the kingdom. There's not an array of alternatives to missing the kingdom. There's only one. There's only two roads. The Bible clearly says there is one road that everybody is on except those who respond to the call. Supper is ready. Come on in. And there we either find one of two things. That's it. We come or we make excuse why we couldn't go, why we didn't go. But I believe this sincerely, that of the millions and millions and millions of people who died last night, who had opportunity to come to the kingdom, to come to Christ, when they were called, to use the word regret doesn't speak of the horrors of what awaits I've come to the conclusion that it's time to say it like it is. And how do I know that there's a hell? Well, for me, there's only one reason. Jesus said so. Now, others need more reasons, and I can give more reasons. But for me, there's only one reason. Jesus said so. How do you know there's two roads? Because Jesus said so. And for me, that's enough for me. It may not be for you. Now, I can give more reasonable explanations. I've sought them out in my mind, but for me, Jesus said so. Someone has once written, a poor workman always finds fault with his tools. When it comes to Christianity, it was the pastor, it was the elders, it was the church. Nobody reached out, nobody loved me. And the pastor was supposed to do this and that, the other thing. But after going on my 44th year of ministry, I've learned a lot of things And I've learned that the human being, the nature that we have, is apt to always make excuses. In other words, blame the tools. But if you're going to fail God, you look in the mirror, because at the end of all of this, there'll be no one to blame but yourself. No one to blame but yourself. You'll not have the ability to make an excuse. Look, if you don't like Pastor Ray, there's millions of other pastors out there. Go pick one. Now, you that have sat here for years, you've picked me more so than I picked you, but that's how it goes. And if you don't like the church that you're in, pick another one. But just realize that at the end of your life, there'll be no one to blame but the man or the woman in the mirror. And your excuses will fail of God. They may pass with me, I don't know. But they will fail of God when he will tell you there has been no excuse. That's what this parable is all about. 
they one by one began to make excuses. And while I'm on the topic of Navy SEALs, years ago, many years ago now, I'm thinking it's probably close to almost 25 years ago, whenever we go on vacation, or in years past went on vacation, my first stop would be the Saturday that we arrived at the Jersey Shore, and I would go to these local used bookstores, and I'd buy a bunch of books. I would get these incredible deals. You know, one was a very large used bookstore, and the other one wasn't quite so large. But I would stop, usually at both of them, pick up a handful, a few handfuls of books, and walk out with them and read them while I was on vacation. And one, the book is called Seal. And I believe, if it's not the very first book written by an actual Navy SEAL, it is one of the first. Lieutenant Commander Michael Walsh. I've read that book 25 years ago. And I went to the bookstore. As you know, I have a voracious appetite for the curiosity of things. So I read on many, many subjects. And I like to read, as you know, about people who do these type of things. So I put this still on my shelf. Seal. Lieutenant Commander Michael Walsh. And I want to just give you an aside. Here's my youngest son. He's about this high at the time. And I asked him, did he want to go to the bookstore? But we weren't driving. We were walking. And the walk from our cottage to the bookstore there in Ortley Beach, it's not there anymore, was in the vicinity, a neighborhood of two miles. For me, not much of a walk. For, oh, I think he was about five. It was a long, long walk. And I expected to have to carry him at some point. But he never asked for help. He never asked to be carried. He never made an excuse. He never made a moan or a groan. I was very astonished and bragged to the family when we got back about him. He never opened his mouth, not once. Just walked the whole long distance with Dad. Anyway, we got to the store, and I pulled this book off the shelf, and I read it. And what I did not know or did not expect was that after he goes through his experience in Vietnam and his involvement in the Phoenix Project and in the drug wars in South America and so on and so forth. The very last chapter was why he became a Christian. <laughs> well, Navy SEALs don't become Christians. Well, some already are when they join the program, but, you know, they're tough. Christians is for weak people, like the pastor here. He's not rugged. He's not tough. Or so some think. Anyway, I had told another one of my children before they joined the military, I said that if you're joining the military to become a man, don't bother Follow Christ with no excuses. Follow Christ to the letter and the apostles, of course the prophets, and God will make you more of a man than the military ever can. Don't get me wrong. I'm more for our men and women that fight and protect my family and myself and you. You know that. That's why my father's flag, a veteran of both the Second World War and Korea, hangs behind me and always has, always will. I'm a patriot. But I'm simply saying that if you want to become a man or you want to become a very strong, self-disciplined woman, follow Christ. The end reward is heaven. But in between, God will make you more of a man than man ever could or woman. So I'm reading this. And here's the words of Michael Walsh in the last chapter of his book. He said, now my field manual is the Bible. And he says that my master, Christ, demands more of me than the Navy SEALs ever did. I found that pretty astonishing. I didn't buy the book for that reason. I just bought it to read it. That was it. But he testified at the end of his book, and you can still get it, by the way, still in print, that following Christ was more demanding, more demanding than being a Navy SEAL. That's if you don't make excuses for why you can't overcome this and why you can't overcome that and why you're not in church services, why you're not in Bible study, why you can't read, why you can't do devotions, why you can't live a holy life. That is an excuse. Someone made mention about raising the bar. And I'm not raising the bar. I'm simply reiterating what's already there. The standard has already been set. Here it is. And we are all reaching up for it, or are we? No more excuses. The day is far spent. Time's running out. And I know enough about combat to know this, that when you're engaged in a firefight, your friend is wounded. You have to let somebody else attend to them because you must go on with the mission. I know a man who was in Vietnam, a Marine, who failed his test to become a sergeant because one of the questions on the test was this. In combat, your buddy there is wounded. What comes first, attend to his wounds or the mission? And he put down my buddy. And he failed and never became sergeant because the mission is always first. If you think of it logically, it makes sense anyway. Because if you go to attend the wounded, there's going to be even more wounded, including yourself. Mission must be first. The combatants, one must establish superior firepower. Right now, the appearance would be, in America at least, 
that we're being overwhelmed by the enemy. They're just trampling on us at will, kicking us around. That's not actually the case, but it appears that way. And every church and every pastor must make sure, let me see, put it on the pastors, must make sure that that is turned around. And even if their local church, such as this one here, turns out in the end to be the Alamo, at least die heroically. They did at the Alamo, I mean, a small little mission there in Texas. But they wouldn't concede to Santa Ana. And neither shall you. No more excuses or we forfeit our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our country, our heritage, everything. If we continue to make excuses, it's going to circle the drain and we're going to watch it with our own eyes. We're going to see evil prevail. There can be no more excuses as to why I couldn't and why I wish I could do it. Whatever he says unto you to do, do it without excuse. If you fail, try again. If you fail, try again. If you fail, try again. How many great people, not necessarily Christians either, have failed so many times in the attempt? Walt Disney was thrown out of a place where he brought his ideas, and they said to him, you have no imagination. It's Walt Disney. Yeah. Harlan Sanders, you know about him, 61 years old, gets his first Social Security check and said, I don't want to live like this. Took his mother's recipe, one that he used to make for his siblings when he was a kid. Nobody wanted it, but they want it now. And they're fighting over the rights for it somewhere, I bet. You can think of so many, many people that became successful. And I can't think of one story. Einstein, Albert Einstein, didn't talk till he was four, couldn't read until he was seven. He's a failure. His kid's going to be a failure. It's Albert Einstein. Helen Keller, blind, deaf, and dumb, was the first person to get a degree from a university with all these three handicaps. Everybody else, well, I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but they quit. Helen Keller wouldn't quit. Helen Keller's favorite book to read? You'll never guess. The Bible. And I think to myself, if these people can accomplish things not giving credit to Christ, at least not directly... Why do we say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, but we don't? No more excuses. Do it. That's what Mary said, Virgin Mary said to these servants at the wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle. Whatever he says unto you to do, do it. They did, and they had a miracle. Now, if you look at verse 16 of your Bible, it's still open. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. So this is a parable. It's not a true story, but it could have been. And I want to remind you of Jesus' words. Many are called, but few chosen. I don't think of a better Bible verse that appeals to these young men who sign up for spec ops and just don't quite make it that they've been called, but not chosen. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, but you didn't. So we move on to something else. Many are called, but few chosen. And I am under the conviction that in the sovereignty of God who knows all things, we play a part in saying yes or no. I have not been able to escape that understanding of the scriptures, and I don't think I ever will. God calls, and we either say, yes, Lord, or one by one we begin to make an excuse why we couldn't have. Believe me. In eternity tonight, right now, today, there are so many that wish they did. And it's too late. It's too late. Too late. Is there anybody here that doesn't acknowledge the time of history that we're living in? That doesn't see what's happening to our country? And some of us here are old enough to see the radical changes in our lifetime. And should we just sit back and do nothing and say, oh, the rapture is coming. I'm glad for that. And I still hope that I'm right. We're right. In our understanding theologically that the rapture precedes the great tribulation. But if it doesn't, there can be no more excuses as to why we sign on for the Antichrist system. And all that evidence is out before us now too. Many are called, but few are chosen. Verse 6. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and he bade many. Come on. And verse 17, sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. I shared with you, I think it was Wednesday night, the Bible study, 
when I grew up, and I understand now that it was here as well in this neighborhood, when supper was ready, usually the mom, most cases is the mom, would open the window or stand on the porch and call you by name. You could hear it all over the neighborhood. I told you Wednesday about Mrs. Murphy. Her and her husband were immigrants from Dublin in Ireland, and they spoke with an accent. His name was Hugh, 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 or you could hear Ray or Johnny, and man, you went, because if you didn't, then right behind mom's call was dad, (laughs) get up here, (laughs) and here in this hour of history, how soon again, who knows, but it's getting close, you could hear Christ saying, supper's ready, and your name is being called now, the decision to either make an excuse why you can't, Pastor Ray has to, but you can't. You know what? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm called to lead, but you're called to follow as well. Well, back in the day, you didn't give an excuse to mom and especially to dad as to why you're not going, oh, I'm not coming up for supper. Hold it for me. Yeah. We all remember those days. You'd be holding something. It'd be a cold pack on your eye. Cruelty, somebody says today. You know, go wash your face and get out of here. Or blow your nose or something. All this stuff has made us a soft nation. And I'm not advocating cruelty. Not everything in our day was good. Not everything in history is good. I'm not advocating cruelty. I'm not advocating child abuse. I'm just simply saying that in the day I grew up in, there was order. You knew who was boss. Now, my dad didn't work in the carpet bills. My, my grandfather did when he started when he was 13 at full time. Full-time, 13 years old, had to use his brother's birth certificate to get in because his brother had died as a child and he was a little bit older. His whole life he went using his brother's name. A different day. You didn't go in and tell your father or your grandfather or your mother or anybody else. Tell them off. I got my lawyers on the case. Yeah, God help us. He sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And I believe we are seeing with our own eyes things are now ready. What will you do? Here in the mountains, here where the deer and the antelope play. They may not need to be saved, but the people do. David Wilkerson once told me that. I was leaving the Bronx and told him I was coming up here. I didn't really know why I was coming here to the country. And he said to me there on a park bench at a street meeting that we had in South Yonkers, he said, people everywhere need Jesus. That stuck with me all these years. Not that I didn't know that, but just that was the right moment for that to be said. It's not the people in New York City, Atlanta, Miami. They're not the only ones that need to be saved. Everybody needs to be saved from the wrath to come, wherever they are. And that means here. I want you to notice in verse 18 a very unique thing that can actually be phrased as a conspiracy. Because three different individuals have been bidden to the supper, but they all give one consent. So did they get together and come up with this plan? Look, let's just go tell that we can't make it. I got land. What do you got? You got five yoke of oxen to break in. What's your excuse? I just got married. Let's take a look quickly at these three. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Now, first of all, who buys land that they haven't seen? (laughs) I have regularly heard a person say this. Of course, it's in jest. He's looking for donations to his broadcast. If you have any land in Florida that you're not using, you know what that means? That means you didn't see the land and you bought it. And it's supposed to be filled with orange groves. And it was only used by an old lady who could no longer pick the oranges. And you go there and what do you got? Alligators. You got a swamp. You were taken. You were conned. So it's not likely that this man hadn't seen the land that he had just purchased. Possible. I look at this as something that is implausible. The excuse is implausible. You know, Daniel Webster, the statesman and lawyer of historical American fame, He and his brother Ezekiel were told by their dad to do a certain chore, a certain task, and the father left. And then when he returned, the first brother that he saw was Ezekiel, and he asked Ezekiel, said, what are you doing? And the answer was, nothing, sir. Then he turned to Daniel, Daniel Webster, and he says, and what have you been doing? He says, well, I've been helping Zeke. (laughs) Two men, two brothers, told by the father, this is what you are to do, and neither one did it. 
And Daniel Webster, being of a quick wit and mind, was the one who said, well, I'm just helping him, and he's doing nothing. I don't know how the outcome of that went, but I do know how it would go historically in most families when Dad said, get this done before I come home. Christ is coming back. Christ is going to return. And he said this to all of us, not to Pastor Ray only. He said to you, occupy. What does that mean? Well, it's actually a term of economics. Be trading, be buying, be selling. It's, again, metaphoric. Be active for me and for the gospel when I return. Be busy at my work in the kingdom. And so we look at this man, and we learn in verse 18, they all had some type of an agreement to make excuses. And let me just say to you, which you already know, and so people who don't want to accomplish, they find each other. And they all agree that this is the reason that, and who wants to be a Navy SEAL anyway? Not me, I never really wanted to be one. (laughs) Yeah, sure. This man here says, I have to go buy a piece of ground. So let me just say, just for the sake of some type of application, I got to make money. I got to make money. And of course, we all need to make money. And everybody needs to go to work. I know that that's not in vogue anymore. And so we have all these socialists coming along in recent years saying everything's free. Nothing in life is free other than the gospel. And even that has its cost. That's what I'm talking about today. Pushing the grace of God aside for just one second. Free, free, free. And I think, are people moronic enough to believe when they look at all the countries around the world where socialism or communism and Marxist philosophies have been tried and proven to be an absolute abject failure? I say to myself, is this some type of intelligence test to see how stupid you can be? Nothing worthwhile in life is free. And the gospel is given free, yeah, but we forget the part that says, now you, follow me. And all this rugged terrain. And we forget the fact that he says, I was crucified, and you will be too. But God responds to us, he says, crucify that part of your life. Put it to death. We make excuses. Ah, No, more excuses. It's time to rise up. The Bible says the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not appointed me unto death. In the 118th Psalm. You want to really sing? You don't have to get any lessons. Some of you do, but most of you don't. When you know the Lord and your conscience is clear, that doesn't mean you lived a perfect life. I'm just saying that your conscience is clear, that you're going to get up out of the dust of failure and go at it again. And this is the 110th time you've tried, but you refuse to give in because God said, overcome, overcome it. He didn't say, well, how do you feel about that? Overcome it. Now that 111th try. Or the 1,000th try, you overcometh, you start to rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. I'm not saying that that made you saved. I'm saying now you can rejoice because you see the gospel coming to pass the truth of it in your own life. In your own life. Another said in verse 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray they have me excused. Who buys oxen? You don't and I don't. But in those days, who buys it without making sure they're strong or of a good stock? It's an excuse. These are what we would call lame excuses. I go through this so much with you, but I think it's always apropos. The tough life story. And I'm going to tell you, for past 40 years now, over four decades of listening to, I've come to the conclusion, listening to people, I've come to the conclusion that everybody to some degree has had a tough life. Don't find yourself satisfying yourself with the tough life story. We have all had a tough life. And we admire those who overcome And we follow when we read their books or watch their stories. This one, though, I think is the best excuse. I mean, the most humorous. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. (laughs) Well, I married a wife, and she won't let me go. (laughs) I married a wife, and she's pretty. I can't come to your supper. Whatever he was thinking. Of course, this is parabolic. It's just a story. I want to give you, this is the truth, two things that I've seen that take people out of Christ, I mean, you know, out of the service and the whole thing, more than any other two things, more than adultery, more than anything, work, a job, and a relationship. You people here that are not married, if you're going to get married, choose wisely. 
Because you think that you're going to change that person, they will change you long before you change them. Someone's going to change, and it's going to be you. And now you're walking straight with the Lord. Then, oh, honey. And I'm not, look, I'm not going to be hard on the women. How many women got husbands that are just awful? Oh, you know, you're in church. And here's the thing. If you took a vow to be with this person, for better, for worse, and all that, you stick to your vow. But God still comes first. Where are you going? Going to church. Might not be too good when you get home, so prepare for it. But you still serve God first. No one comes before Christ. No one. Jobs and relationships, in my experience, are the two things that I've seen pull people away from the Lord than any other thing that I've experienced. It's hard for the American Christian to accept or even hear that God does get angry. We're so used to the Casper milk toasts of this present generation, always appeasing the crowd, always pandering, always telling comfortable Americans how to be more comfortable. I think of what the Navy SEAL wrote here and how I've heard that. Oh, I couldn't get to church. It was too hot. And then when they got here, it was too cold because we have central air conditioning. Poor American Christian. Oh, it was so hot in church. Oh, I wish I could get to church. And on and on. And they're all excuses. Now, let me just go now because I don't want to forget it. The difference between a reason and an excuse. We have Wednesday night Bible study. And what's only least attended, typically in churches, than Bible study is the prayer meeting. And it's always been that way. Now, why can't you get to prayer meeting? And why can't you get to Bible study? Well, some are working second shift. You have reasons that God accepts. But for a great many people, it's just an excuse. Well, I never really did go on Wednesdays. Then you start. And this is the hour to start. This is the hour to start. Well, I never really did go to prayer meeting. Then you start. And this is the hour to start because the time is late and we can accept no more excuses. We must get down to business now, right now. 90% of the emails I sent out, I don't even get an answer to them. Not that I want one and not that I need it. I don't need validation. I don't need endorsement. I'm looking for it. I'm just wondering if there's anybody out there. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves one to another as the manner of some is. And they do it anyway. And that's an excuse. And we have run out of time. And there's no more time for excuses. Do or die. Again, I admire strength. Christian or not, I just admire people of not just physical strength. I mean character. I mean grit. Why does the character Maddie in the movie True Grit pick a drunk? Rooster Cogburn, played by John Wayne. Because she wants a man that has true grit. One of the few roles where you see John Wayne actually playing a goofy kind of a character. But at the end, when he's challenged by the four outlaws, Robert Duvall being one of them, there he is with his Navy Six and his Henry Repeater and the reins in his mouth. And it's quite an ending, one of the greatest endings to a movie ever made. Fictitious. Yeah, we know that. But there he is shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. And of course, he shoots all four of them. His horse gets shot, but he still wins because Glenn Campbell shoots the bad guy, which is Robert Duvall. You see, we admire that type of grit in people, but we can no longer wish that we had it. We must get it, and we must get it today. No more excuses. If you have a reason, that's different. People are sick and all that. Those are reasons, legitimate reasons. But only you are going to know whether you have a reason or an excuse. I've come to peace with my life. There will be no more compromises. I've reviewed my life for long enough now to make some conclusions. There will be no mediocrity. There will be no compromises. Not for me. I suggest you follow. Just look in the mirror and you'll find every problem you've ever faced right there looking back at you. You can forget everybody else. You can forget about the president you didn't vote for but you had to serve under. Or the people that are elected into our federal and local governments and so forth that you didn't vote for. And on and on and on. Or your father, your mother, or the neighborhood. You can just look in the mirror and you will find the reason that you have failed so many times. You made excuses for yourself. You thought you were the exception, but Jesus didn't say. You are the exception. No. It's hard for the American Christian to believe that God gets angry. Pastors have a habit of enabling Christians' bad behavior the way some parents do enable their miscreant children. Oh, he was such a good kid. He was, but he's not now. We got to pray and we speak appropriately. If you want to sum up Jesus in one word, more than any other word, he was always appropriate. Notice that how when sinners come to him, 
beaten people, people who are, um, well, life has beaten them up, the devil has beaten them up. You see how kind he is and compassionate? That's appropriate. Now look at the religious crowd. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and when you do, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. And it's hard for the American Christian. They'll accept this Jesus, but they don't accept this Jesus. And the preacher must give both because it's simply Jesus. The preacher must learn, the pastor must learn how to be appropriate. Who needs to hear about mercy? Who needs to be understood? And who needs to be reprimanded? No more excuses. I told you at the beginning of this message. There's a lot of things. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm not even going to tell my family what they are. I don't want anybody checking on me. I don't want anybody criticizing me. I don't want anybody saying, you said Between me and God. But I've assigned to myself a tough task. Plural tasks. And I'm not going to make excuses as to why I can't live up. Unless what I'm doing is not the will of God, then I'll let it go. But other than that, I know one thing. Time in my life is running out. I'm not as old as some of you are, thank God. But I'm not young either. I'm looking at the hands on the clock. And I'm saying to myself, better get it done. Better get it done before they're stuffing your body in a box and putting you in the ground. Better get it done. This message is bored out of the heart of something I've preached to myself. So don't think I'm looking at you and pointing the finger at you. I'm simply saying, do what I have done. Take a hard look at my life and say, this is what it is, Barnett. This is what it is. No more excuses. No more mediocrity. No more settling things. I mean, settling for things. Select. Don't settle. Select Christ and his word, all of it, all of it. God does get angry. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, verse 21, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring them in hither, the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. This word compel is a very powerful word. It means to constrain someone. We could say that it means to kind of put a pressure on them. Now, I'm not talking about manipulation. You know I disdain manipulation. I would never do it to you or anybody else. Somebody tells me, I don't want to hear you talk about Jesus to me anymore. It's the end of the story. It doesn't stop me from praying. That's the end of the story. Done. Done. You don't want me to talk to you about Jesus? Done. But I will still be praying. I won't give up. But I won't manipulate them. And God does not manipulate us. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Let me tell you something that was told to me many, many years ago. I had a habit of looking at people who fouled up quite a lot. And I'd always make an excuse for them. Well, you know, he's not really a bad guy. And another pastor, he said to me one day, he said, you don't have to make excuses for other people. And you know, that made sense to me. Why would I have to make an excuse for a life that is not mine? This life is mine. This is the only life God gave to me, the one that's right up above these two feet. I don't have to make an excuse for other people. And neither do you, as the kids say. It is what it is. The question is, what will we do? Continue to make excuses? Or rise up and be counted and make our mark in this generation for Christ? And so we go on with this parable here. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. There's the word. To constrain them to come in. That my house may be filled For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Once again, keep the context in mind. This is Jesus giving a parable to a Jewish audience that says, you're going to reject me. And so what's going to happen is that the promises given to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, is going to be fulfilled in the Gentiles. There is still a plan for the people of Israel, no doubt. We see that in the Bible. But Jesus is saying that what should have been yours is now going to be given to strangers. (laughs) How will you feel? And I'll tell you, this day is coming. How will you feel? You come in here and somebody has your seat. I'm telling you this in all sincerity. What I see happening here and in other churches that are preaching the gospel, these seats are going to be filled. You're going to come in, typically late, and you're going to find out there's no room for you. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm just saying, what are you going to do? You're going to sit out in the parking lot and talk about, well, we're not reserving seats. I told you the story when we were up on the hill. A woman who sat in the same, back then they were pews, I mean wooden pews. She sat in the same seat. She was a bitter, I don't know what else to say, but a very bitter, bitter woman who I don't believe was truly born again. But she sat under good teaching prior to me. And one day this young couple came into church. Now at that time we had plenty of room. And she tapped him on the shoulder and her typical bitter voice said, you're in my seat. 
Well, they scurried over, and she sat down in her seat of do nothing. Not only do nothing, but when she did do something, she would write me anonymous letters. She didn't know that I knew it was her, telling me how no good I was. And that's when I, I broke down and cried. No, I didn't break down and cry. What I did is I took the letter to the pulpit, for those of you who were there may remember, and I read it out loud. Now, I didn't mention who it was, and I said, I know who wrote it. And you know I know you wrote it. Never mentioned her name. She took offense that I called upstate New Yorkers ghetto sinners. And I didn't say ghetto ever. I just simply said, you need to be born again. She somehow made that message into, don't call us ghetto sinners. That morning I told the entire congregation, most of whom are not only not in this church anymore, they're not in any church anymore, that you must be born again. And don't look at New Yorkers like we're some type of species that God has to work special on. But you're just a bunch of good old boys. Well, God sent up this New York City kid to tell you that it's time to break up the crowd. Hallelujah. That you're not just a bunch of good old boys. You must be born again, Amen. buddy. If you think that you have grit, I've got it too. You better believe I got it. Because Christ made me a man. Christ. Excuses. Have you ever heard some good ones? Go in the ministry. They have some great ones. Here's the commanding officer in a military base. Ten soldiers go out on leave for the night. They'll be back at their station. Zero, seven hundred. Nobody's there. The ten soldiers don't show up. One guy comes in. Hour, more than an hour, late for duty. And the uh, colonel, commanding officer, where have you been? He said, well, you know, I had a date last night. And the bus broke down, so I took a cab. The cab broke down, so I went over to the farmer and I rented a horse, and the horse died on the way over here, and so I had to walk the last 10 miles, and I just got here. The commanding officer, eh, didn't know what to think. The next guy comes in. Where, where were you? I had a date last night. I missed the bus. So I hired a cab, and the cab broke down, and so there was this farmer, and I bought a horse, and the horse died. And one by one, they all came in with the exact same story. Now the commanding officer is really on his ear. Finally, the last soldier comes in. And where were you? And don't tell me. But before he could finish the sentence, the young man was saying, well, I had a date last night and I missed the bus. So I took a cab and the commanding officer said, stop, don't tell me that you. And he said, no, he says, we had a hard time getting here because there were so many dead horses in the road. I've heard the best excuses. may not be as good as this guy's here, but I've heard some of the best excuses why I can't be in the ministry in this church. This church needs you. This church needs you to serve. Find your gift and talent and serve. Every one of you, serve. This is the hour. No more excuses. No more. We must come together and establish superior firepower. And if it be the will of God that this little branch here sitting in the foothills of the Adirondacks becomes the Alamo, so be it. But you be a Davy Crockett. You be a Jim Bowie. You be a hero of the faith that even if we were to go down, we will not go down surrendering to the demonic counterpart of Santayana. We will not give in to the mass armies that are coming up against us like Jehoshaphat. And we will pray that God sends us whatever else we need to conquer But we will not be conquered because time has run out for excuses. It's time for us now to rise up and be counted. No more excuses. Let me give this to you as I finish. Even though Anne Rand was an atheist, she had something that's interesting that I think we could agree with. She said this, rationalization is a process of not perceiving reality, but of attempting to make reality fit one's emotions. We often take God and his gospel and we make him, try to make him, to suit our needs, to accommodate us. But you're going to find that that's a great mistake. God is God. He will accommodate us by telling us things like parables coming down to our level, so to speak. Difficult because they're spiritual principles. And he will accommodate us in that way, but that's it. Then he says, now, overcome. I wish I overcome. Pass the test. I already failed it five times. Take it again. And if you fail for the next five times, take it again. But you don't give in and you don't give up and you never quit. You never quit on anything that belongs to God and to his house. And this is the hour. This is the hour that God's going to take little people, maybe children as well, people that nobody ever heard of, and raise them up 
as he's done in the past, the base things, so to speak, of 1 Corinthians, the things that were kicked to the side. And don't you circle the drain with somebody else who's decided that they're going to circle the drain. That's the time to not necessarily break it off physically. Maybe you can't do that, but you've got to detach yourself and serve Christ and establish superior firepower in your life. And no more excuses. No more excuses for why you can't pray. No more excuses for why you can't study the Bible. There are so many tools. Technology, with some of its, many of its perhaps uh, evil side to it, still has many great things to offer to us. You can study the Bible now in more depth than any other preacher in any other generation. I told this to a friend of mine as a pastor. I said, what excuse will we pastors have for not having a well-prepared message? Everything's out there. No more excuses for lack of Bible study. No more excuses for lack of prayer. No more excuses for why you can't be in fellowship. Why you can't attend church services. Reasons are different. God recognizes reasons for all of us. But he does not recognize or accept excuses. Why you can't be a soul winner. In your head you say, oh, they don't want to hear. How do you know they don't want to hear? I'm telling you, people have come to Christ in my own life and ministry who I never thought would. And the people who I was sure would accept, because they were always the nice guys, were the very ones that I told you the story. The guy ripped up a track right in front of my face. One of the nicest guys I've ever met. When I gave him a track, he said, you read it. i got to be truthful with you. I would have much preferred to punch him out for doing that than to have to pray for him. But I decided to pray because it's Jesus' way. But to this day, and it's 35 years later, I still want to punch him out. (laughs) Well, I'm just like you. I'm a human being. No more excuses, though, for not winning souls, not praying, not studying the Bible. No more excuses that my honey at home won't let me go to church. Now, I say it's not just women. It's the men, too. Tell honey, I'll be back in a few hours after church. (laughs) You preacher preaches all day long. I could preach all day long. This is the gospel we're talking about. No more excuses. I wonder how many of you are prepared in your heart. When you go home and think about it and look yourself square in the proverbial mirror. It doesn't have to be a mirror. Just take inventory of your life and see all the places where you've just been making excuses. Reasons, that's one thing. God understands that. Pastor understands that. Let me finish with this. I brought these up here because the only thing I'm putting in my throat as a lozenge for a cough and a tickle is holes. Now, I'm not getting endorsed by them either. Well, frankly, I should. Any more than I am Bowflex for promoting a good product. My good friend back there buys me bags of these things to put in my throat, especially on Sundays. But I got another two bags in my car. You know why? Because one day, having both feet in the slough of despond, I looked at the package. You can do it and you know it. Don't try harder. Do harder. And as I was putting the lozenge in my mouth, I said, yeah. (laughs) Dust off and get up. Yeah, the show must go on or work. Yeah, and I took out another one. Be unstoppable. Yeah, be resilient. That's me. Don't give up on you. Well, I changed it to Christ. Elicit a few wows today. Yeah, it's holes for me. Keep all the rest. I even saved these things up to read them again. Get yourself a Bowflex, buy a box of holes. <laughs> And stop making excuses. Let's go to prayer. Oh, God, we bless you and we praise you. So many of us are in the slough of despond. We feel the devil pushing us there even further. And what we do in the meantime is we make excuses. Oh, I'll never get out of here. It's poor me. But when we look at the gospel squarely, we see that you don't give us any margin or room for an excuse. Our reasons you accept. Oh, God, I'm weak. Well, that's true. And God, I slip and fall. And that's true, too. But you don't accept our excuses when it's nothing more than countermanding your order. Oh, God, all over this country today, people are praying for a third great awakening. For mercy on us during the coming elections and the terrors that will attend it, no doubt, either way. God, be merciful to us and give us that third great awakening in the first great awakening here in America. In the 18th century, the churches were emptied. In the second great awakening, same thing. Profligacy and drunkenness and adultery. Orphanages that had to be built because men were so drunk they couldn't go to work. And the children were orphaned. Oh God, have mercy on us and awaken us to righteousness. And keep us, God. And let us establish superior firepower 
O God, cause us to conquer. And if it be your will that this church or that one there become an Alamo, then let us go down to the grave with dignity saying, glory be to God. But I did not concede the will or the word to anything or to anyone for any reason. Oh God, we give you the praise that we will not be making concessions for anxiety and panic attacks, but we will conquer them in Jesus' name, along with depression and anything else, our sicknesses and our diseases. You carried them on the cross and healed them all. Oh God, let us live if you should delay your coming any longer. To an old age, still fighting, still preaching, still praying, occupying till you come to get us. Oh, we bless you, O God. We praise you today. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Just very quickly, I really would caution you not to make a decision right here on the spot. I'll just simply say to you, if you're willing, go home today and take inventory. Take out a pad and write it down with a pen, paper. Start to take inventory of all the places where you're compromised or compromising. I mean, it could even be in little things, you know, the way you dress, anything. It could be anything. And say no more excuses. Call yourself by your first name. No more excuses. No more mediocrity. No more. Oh, God, only you know today what hearts the seed of the word of God is falling on is good ground. I do not know. But help Everyone who has ears to hear in a heart of which the seed is going to grow, go home today and take inventory. And say to themselves and to you in prayer, no more excuses. I will rise up. I will live the way you have commanded me to live. And we will give you praise. And we will give you the glory. And we will give you the honor, solo Christus. Bless my friends that are here today. Bless them with the power of the Holy Spirit that we should tread on serpents and scorpions rather than having them treading on us. Oh God, we give you the praise. So Father, we close this service reminded of the two Greek commandments in the Bible upon which all the other 31,100 verses hang. To love you with all of the heart, all of the mind, and all of the strength, and to love one another. Upon this, you said, all the law hangs. Bless my friends again as they go home today. Give them safe traveling mercies. Give them a heart to obey. And bless each and every one, I pray, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.